You're listening to a North Valley Community Church podcast. For more information and resources, visit us online at northvalleychurch.org. Well, good morning. Good to be with you guys. Those of you that are new, welcome. My name's Ryan. Uh, Glad to have you guys. We're going to be jumping into uh, the Apostle Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus. In fact, it's going to take us about 12 weeks. It'll lead right up to Easter. Uh, It'll be a really, really good series. Uh, I'm excited to be able to kind of kick it off this morning. So uh, before we get started, I I told you uh, uh, last week that I wanted to give you an update on our kind of year-end giving. So I want to do that, and I'm really grateful. I got good news for you. Uh, uh, Thank you for all of you who gave in 2019 to our general fund. General fund pays all the bills, pays our staff, makes sure that we can keep doing the ministry that you experience every Sunday morning, our neighborhood groups, all our primary ministries. Uh, So uh, we met our budget, covered all our expenses in 2019, and we couldn't have done it without you. So thank you very, very much. Yeah. You know, um, uh, back in November, we were facing kind of a deficit at that point in time, and I was concerned. And I really, I've never led the church in, in a ministry year starting with the deficit. So I'm glad we didn't do that for 2020. It was really good to start strong. Uh, 2019, not only were we able to meet the present ministry, ministry needs uh, for the year, but we were able to invest our, into the ministry long-term future. As you might remember, we had a donor outside of our church step forward and wanted to give a gift of $200,000. That's a big gift. Uh, never have we before ever had any size of that kind of gift uh, pledged towards our church before by uh, one individual donor. Uh, this donor outside of our church, kind of a God story, I'll tell you another day, but uh, that donor intends and plans to give that gift no later than the end of this year. Uh, this will enable our church to do something pretty incredible. It'll enable our church to join a group of generous men inside our church and outside of our church to be part of a 20% land ownership deal and a $1 million piece of property that's connected to this property. Uh, That property is, if we look at the diagram, as you drive in, you see the building on your right-hand side, and then on the left where that fence is, that's where that three-acre parcel is. Um, because of your generosity, we were positioned to be part of this new uh, group that will gain ownership of that. The church will be 20% landowners of this property, and then we'll have the option to buy and uh, out the rest of the partners in the group within a period of five years. Um, so your giving uh, not only met the current ministry need, but made a major investment in the future of this church. So thank you very much. That, that's a major accomplishment. Um, that'll make our campus uh, perhaps uh, 12 acres. Uh, and uh, so we're excited about all that God's going to do in the coming years. I've always told you before, my vision is one church, one lifetime. Uh, I look for people on our staff team that have a deep levels of commitment. If you look at the greatest and the uh, best churches around, it, usually there's long-term leadership commitment. And the congregation plays a vital part in that. Uh, when people stick together, work together, you can do great things. 
I believe that uh, we're absolutely better together as a church. Uh, Your giving indicated that. Um, Years past, I've had people try to give us money from outside of the country to help us with capital projects, and I said no. I said, because if if our church is going to be funded by outsiders entirely, uh, then, then I couldn't lead that kind of church. Because you gave financially, we met all of our ministry needs 2019. We're strong for 2020, and we got a bright, bright future. So thank you again. So excited about that. Last but not least, yes, it is a woo. Um, last but not least, um, we got word back from the city. And uh, we've done everything we possibly could. We worked with them uh, to try to figure out and remedy some kind of parking lot solution. And uh, we've got finalization word that we absolutely cannot do what we're doing now. Uh, (laughs) So, hey, at least if you're a positive thinker, you just do the process of elimination, okay? You knock on the door, and if it slams in your face and they deadbolt it 10 times, then you know you can't go in that door. Um, so we can't do what we're doing now. So, um, they've said finally with absolute clarity that we could do, uh, some kind of, uh, asphalt that's crushed and, and then put out on, on the, on the deal. Then they would give us the permits and we can get started on this building right away. Uh, that building's crucial for us, for our kids and our youth. Um, if you ask me what's the, what's the primary focus for this upcoming year is to improve the quality of the Sunday morning service experience, ensuring that every man, woman, and child gets effective Bible teaching, preaching, uh, classrooms are functioning, teams are operating good. That's crucial. We got to get this open. And so uh, the truth be known, the reality is, is we're going to have to do what we're talking about, the parking lot and the building in phases. Okay. So everybody say phases. So we, we're just not, uh, we're not a, a rich uh, church and nobody's hit the lottery, I don't think. And, uh, or if you got a rich uncle uh, that can just provide everything all at once, that'd be great. However, uh, we're going to do this thing in phases. And so um, uh, we, we suspect that we're going to be unloading uh, and, and moving forward in some of the uh, future phases. We've already done a ton of work, done a lot of irrigation, done a lot of cleanup, done a lot of infrastructure work that you can't see, but we're getting there. We're getting further down the road. So I hope to present to you and share with you more about those phases being developed within the next uh, 60 to 90 days, we ought to be seeing some more traction there. Pray with me, though, that the city will work with us on this next phase that we're working on, get that parking lot done, get the permits, and get moving. Amen? Amen. All right, let me pray for us um, and uh, remind you before we do is uh, for all of you that have given, you should expect some kind of level of donor reporting coming back to your emails this week to kind of say, hey, here's what we've got on file. If you want to get the Eager Beaver uh, tax thing going, then you got all your information. If you need any help, it's all there in the program. Contact Michelle and we'll, we'll get you squared away. So thank you for your generosity. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, this is your church and you've got a great plan. Uh, You've got great people here, Lord. I I thank you for the privilege and the opportunity uh, to be on this stage week after week and to share and show the love of Jesus Christ with a team of people. Uh, Lord, we we need your help in in, uh, not only in our church, but in our families and our own personal lives. So Lord, we now ask that in everything we do, would you multiply it for our good and for your glory? And thank you, God. Uh, We pray for the word to speak to us and change us so we can be more like you and experience your best. In Jesus' name, amen.
So Ephesians, that's where we're at. That's where we're jumping in. What I'm going to do is we're going to work through Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 through 6 uh, this morning. And uh, I'm going to introduce uh, two big blessings and one big response. You're going to learn some theological words. Theology is kind of the knowledge of God, the understanding of God. And I'm going to reduce it down to what I call theology for dummies. I had to sit on the front row when I was in college because I got so easily distracted. In seminary, I sat on the front row, raised my hand, and asked the professor, can you break that down for me? Um, I want to help you grasp some major theological terms that are introduced in this first section of Scripture. But before I do, what I need to do is I need to give you the context of, of this letter written from the Apostle Paul to the church in Ephesus. So let's do so by jumping in and reading the first couple of verses. It says in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 through 6, in the English Standard Version, uh, which I've written a, a blog and an article as why we use the ESV, that version, and, and the backstory and the history of that, you can find on our blog if you, if for you nerds that want to do that. Um, I'm fine. I'm in the nerd club too from time to time, but uh, that's all there. So it says this, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Let me pause for a moment right there. Uh, they went, the way they wrote letters in the first century is just different than the way we do it now. When you and I write a letter, we write, Dear Ted or Dear Bill. And guess what? You and me don't write letters anymore. We just shoot text messages and we, we send emails. Uh, but the Apostle Paul is writing a letter. And in the first century, this is common. He says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus, so it's to a group of people in Ephesus, and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's walk through that and help us, let me help you understand kind of what's going on here. First, you have the Apostle Paul. Now, that's his Greek name. So, uh, the, the primary language in that day was Greek, Koine Greek, common language, so that's his name. His Hebrew name, anybody know his Hebrew name? Saul. Yeah, his name was Saul. And so sometimes in scripture, you'll remember Paul is referred to as Saul. That's because his Jewish identity, he was called Saul. Um, some people think that when he became a Christian, God changed his name. The Bible doesn't really say that, but there is a different name change. Why would he choose the name Paul? Because he's trying to reach a different group of people who've been traditionally reached. So he self-identifies with the common understanding of that name would be uh, Paul. So in Spanish, like, I don't know, how do you translate Ryan? Like, you know, I don't know what you do. So I'm there with the Spanish teacher and the Spanish teacher says, I don't know, I just kind of choose a name. So I'm Ruben. <laughs> and then, and then, and then, and then I'm like, so in English, that's like Ryan. And my Hispanic friends are like, no. So, you know, but you figure out what you want to be called, and that's what you're called. I remember one time we had a guest service person. I uh, was checking in some friends, and some Asian folks showed up, and, uh, and the guy checks in, and uh, the lady goes, okay, well, um, what's your name, sir, and your children's name? And he's deeply Asian, and this guy doesn't speak very good English, and he says, my name is Ted. And the child goes, that is not your name. <laughs> and he's like, it is for today. So, so Paul's got this name, Paul, and that's the Greek name, and so just embrace it. 
what did he do? He persecuted Christians before he identified with the name Paul. He identified with the name Saul. And Saul is, I'm sorry to tell you, but he's like a religious terrorist. He is a bad guy. I'm talking, if there's hope uh, for the power of Jesus in our lives, let's go look at the apostle Paul's life. And when his name was Saul, he was persecuting Christians. He was in a sense given some kind of documentation and authority to basically go in into churches or assemblies and gatherings and drag out the Christians and put them into trial because they were disruptants of the peace. I mean, the Roman government wasn't necessarily the nicest government on Christians, by, by and large. And, and uh, if you've ever seen the movie, The Apostle Paul, or read in the scriptures, you'll see the Apostle Paul didn't end well for him. He's beheaded in Rome. So uh, Saul is a Jesus hater. He hates Christians because he's a devout Jew. He's waiting on the Messiah. Jesus is not the Messiah and he's licensed with power. And when you give evil people power, it's really bad. But God has the power to take evil and bring it to good. And he does so in the life of Saul, who now is Paul. Uh, he gets converted. And around the year 33, 34 AD, historians debate. This would have been a, within a year or so of the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. So it's close. So the early church gets moving quick. God uses a man named Paul to bring incredible theological clarity to the Christian faith. Um, he's converted. He does ministry. At the time of the writing of this letter that you and I are reading, the Apostle Paul is, has been doing ministry for 30 years. How many of you guys have ever been in a, 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 a business or in a one career for more than 10 years? Raise your hand. One career, more than 10 years. Okay, proud of you. Most people don't do that these days. How many of you have done business or one career for 15 years? Raise your hand. Okay, how many for 20? Okay, how many for 25? Look at you. All right, let's all applaud them. Stay in focus. We change careers so many times. He's a seasoned ministry leader. Uh, what did he do? Well, he, he wrote and gave us perhaps some of the best theological foundation that we have for our Christian faith. And he did so perhaps what was so crazy in God's plan, he did it from prison. Why did he write so much? He's in prison. What do you do when you're in prison? You can't run around and go preach and teach. God in his sovereign plan used prison to produce incredible theological clarity for us. Um, he's imprisoned at the time of this. Uh, he's writing uh, from a place where, uh, and he writes a number of test, New, uh, New Testament letters. He writes to the church in Colossae. He writes to Philemon. He writes to the Philippians. And these are called prison epistles. Um, he's inspired by God. He's given divine inspiration and motivation. I think of uh, tomorrow we're going to celebrate and recognize uh, Martin Luther King Jr. It's interesting to me that he wrote a letter as well addressed to his fellow clergymen on April 16th, 1963, while he was in jail in Birmingham to defend the strategy of nonviolent resistance to racism. 
And in it, he says, the, the letter from Birmingham jail, he uses this phrase, and he says, I must confess to his fellow pastors and friends, I'm not afraid of the tensions that I face. There was a level of ease in the midst of his misery and his pain that he had because he knew he was operating by a divine design. I think the apostle Paul is operating in that same sense with Ephesus. He's good. Don't feel bad for me. I'll be all right. I'm, in, I'm, I'm under house arrest. I'm in prison in a sense, but I'm writing to encourage and edify you. And in fact, the apostle Paul had a multi-ethnic vision as well, getting the gospel from not just the Israelites and the, those that were in the Judaism, but the Gentiles. And perhaps that's why he even changed his name to identify with the Greeks. And so Paul is writing from jail. He's embraced this tension and he's writing with this emphasis. So let's just break it down just a little bit further. The word apostle, what is an apostle? When he says he's an apostle by the will of God, it is something that you and I need to think about just for a moment. What are the qualifications for apostles? Are there apostles today in today's world? According to conservative historical Christian theology, no, there is not. You have the 12 apostles, and then, um, and then, and then Judas loses the right, uh, uh, hangs himself. But historians would agree the apostle Paul is adopted into a, a, uh, the apostolic ministry for sure. So qualifications quickly is one was that you'd had to uh, been with Jesus Christ during his earthly ministry. Number two would be that you had per personally witnessed Jesus after his resurrection. When Jesus rose again, the apostles were there. They, they, they knew him. They saw him. Jesus spent 40 days with them. And then thirdly would be is that they were empowered by Holy Spirit uh, miracles to perform major acts. And the apostle Paul has this. And this is part of the tension that the Apostle Paul faced in the early church because he wasn't like the traditional apostles. Uh, by the time of Jesus' ministry, he was doing some crazy stuff against Jesus, against the disciples. We don't have all the, the record of that, but the timeline would show that. But his conversion happens later when he's met on the road to Damascus. He's converted and he witnesses and sees Jesus Christ himself and is called into an apostolic ministry. And then it says this phrase, by the will of God. How many of you raise your hand and say, I want to live by the will of God? Raise your hand. Okay, be careful. Uh, the Apostle Paul, you know what God's will is for his life? Immediately, uh, they, they tell him that uh, this is my uh, chosen instrument to go and bear the name of Jesus among all Gentiles. I'm going to show him how much he's going to have to suffer. God's will is not always easy. God's will is sometimes really tough, but God's will is always really wonderful. Um, the Apostle Paul realizes this is the will of God. And he says, to the saints, who are the saints? How many of you guys come from a Catholic background? Raise your hand. I, I, love, I love my Catholic friends, so don't be afraid. You're like, ah! Okay, come from a Catholic background, yeah. Um, if it weren't for my Catholic grandmother, I don't know if the Rice family would be Christian. I don't know if my mom and my dad would be Christian. Uh, we had, we had uh, Mormons in the family and stuff like that, and they, they swung towards Protestant Christianity, and I praise God for it. We share more in common with the Catholics than we do apart, by the way. Um, but this idea of saints could be very confusing for all of you, my Catholic friends. 
Um, Webster's Dictionary says that a saint is one officially recognized, especially through canonization, as preeminent for holiness. Another definition by Webster says, one of the spirits of the departed who are in heaven. So basically, let me, let me reduce this down for you. Basically, you're perfect and you're dead if you're a saint. What does the Apostle Paul mean? What is a saint by the biblical definition? The exact opposite. It means that you're living and you're imperfect. You and me are saints, friends. And so the biblical concepts, he's writing to living people. He says, to the saints who are where? In Ephesus. Let me tell you about Ephesus. Ephesus was a great city, a powerful city, one of the top five biggest cities in the Roman Empire. There were theaters, music, arts, business, economy, education, entertainment. There was religion. It was like, I don't know if you've ever been down to New Orleans, uh, but it's like, it was not a good religion. It was black magic, hocus pocus, dominocus. It was not good. Um, there was everything going on. And when Paul starts preaching, it creates a trouble because all the folks that are selling all their idols and all their little uh, witchcraft stuff, they, they, it screws up the economy. And Paul is preaching, has preached the gospel. He's 30 years, done ministry, writing back to the church he planted. And this uh, city is a great city. They got a stadium there. It's huge, 25,000 people. That's bigger than Gila River Arena. That's bigger than, uh, that's the home of the Coyotes. That's bigger than the Talking Stick Arena, 18.4 thousand. It's it's big. This is a major city. So we can relate as a church in Phoenix. Um, Ephesus is interesting. They had a great start. They have a great start. Uh, look what it says in the scriptures. It says, uh, to the faithful. They're faithful. They have great leaders. <laughs> How would you like to have the Apostle Paul? And, and later he gets the, they get Timothy. They have a great start, great leaders. But you know what's unfortunate? They have a really sad ending. If you go to the end of the Bible in Revelation, uh, this is the one that Jesus says, this is the church that lost their first what? Love. They lose their first love. And Paul's writing in a prophetic sense, I believe, to help encourage and edify and just challenge believers to live out their faith in such a way to recognize these two big blessings and to have one big response. And so what is that? Let's, let's jump in. The first is that we see this, is that there's blessing. Verse three, it says, blessed be the God, our father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Verse four, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. In love what? Verse five, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has blessed us in the beloved. Big blessing number one is our sufficiency in Jesus Christ. He uses that word blessing over and 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 over again. You and me as Christians are deeply blessed people. Hashtag blessed. We are blessed. And you and I have a sufficiency in Christ. Major theological category. It means we have everything we need to live the Christian life. Let's look back at, at verse 2 or verse 3. 
verse three, uh, there in your Bibles, or maybe we can find it on the screen. Verse three, it says, blessed be the God, our father of Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ, that word in Christ occurs over and over and over again. Your identity as a man, as a woman, as a child who believes in Jesus, as you're in Christ, you've got this blessing on your life. You can run from it. You can hide from it, but you're blessed. You say, well, I don't feel all the blessings. Well, let me explain something. What if, what if you're looking at blessing the wrong way? What if you're looking at blessing as physical blessings, but forgetting about spiritual blessings? Because what did it say? Sufficiency in Christ. Look at the, the passage. In Christ with every what? Spiritual blessing. So what are spiritual blessings? Uh, what does it mean? What does it mean? What does it mean to have spiritual blessings? I'll give you four uh, spiritual blessings that are powerful for you and me. Number one is power. You and me get a power that is extraordinary. We can make it through what we're going through because Christ died, resurrected, and gives us the power of the Holy Spirit. You and me have a dynamo. When I don't have enough to get through what I'm going through, I got God. Christian life is not human willpower. It's extraordinary power. That's the Christian life. Forgiveness. You and me get forgiveness. You know, we get forgiveness from God. We're not at odds with God. We're blessed in Christ. How are we blessed with God? How do we find forgiveness with God? For the things we've screwed up, the things that we've done, imperfect people, living. We find forgiveness with God through the person and the work of Jesus Christ. What makes me a forgiving person is just stopping for a moment and realizing how God forgives me. We have power. We have forgiveness. We have instruction. You lay the scriptures out. You look at them, you could just read a proverb a day and go like, wow, this has given me good instruction for my life. You and me, we have instruction. Spiritual blessing is instruction. We have God's word. God's word shapes our values is what we believe and what we think and how we make decisions. Well, that's a spiritual blessing. Another one is motivation. Not only does God give us instruction, but he gives us the motivation to do it. How does he do that? He does that through the work of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes you don't want to do what God wants you to do but by the will of God, you do. And look at the Apostle Paul as a great example. Motivated, called, compelled. So when I don't have the right motivation, I say, God, motivate me. Because I don't feel it. I need that. That's spiritual blessing, ladies and gentlemen. So how does it work? Two principles as to help you in this is kind of what I call the father knows best principle. A lot of times my kids will come to me and they'll say, dad, dad, can I have this or can I have that? I'm like, no, that's not going to be good for you. You can't have that. And why not? Well, trust me, it's not going to work out. I promise. It's not good. Uh, dad, please, please, please. Uh, I want sugar. I want Coke. I want this. I want late at night. No, 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 no. It's not going to work out. No, no. You got to go to bed. You got to wake up tomorrow. You got a big day tomorrow. Blah, 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 blah. Uh, father knows best. How many of you guys remember Mick Jagger, the old rock singer? Uh, you, 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 what does he say? He says, uh, you get what you want, or you get what you need, not what you want. There you go. And somebody starts to try to sing it. There you go. You don't always get what you want, you get what you need. So Father knows best, or the Mick Jagger principle, however you think about it. You are blessed, you have sufficiency in Christ, but just realize Father knows best. You're going to get what you need, not always what you want. 
I think about with the Israelites. They're wandering around the, the wilderness and they're frustrated with God and that God's not providing and they're mad at Moses and blah, 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 blah. And all of a sudden, God begins to rain out blessing on them, physical blessing in an extraordinary way. They have manna and they have just enough for that day. You get what you need, not necessarily what you want. It's also understanding the sufficiency of Jesus Christ is like this just-in-time delivery system. It's a business phrase. It's another principle of this understanding uh, how, how this thing works, the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. The, the idea of just-in-time delivery system will be with orders, say with Whole Foods or, or Super Walmart or whatever place that you shop or Safeway or Fry's. All that produce shows up just in time. How does it do that? There's a whole technology system wrapped around that to show certain shelf lives and how things work and orders are processed and Amazon's mastered this thing with products and services and they're killing it. God works in a just-in-time delivery system. I call it a divine delay. There's so many times in the Christian life you're like, God, show up, do something. Just in time. And why did he do it like that? I think he did it like that because he wants you on your knees and he wants you dependent. Just in time. So what does it not mean, the sufficiency of Jesus Christ? It definitely doesn't mean, when I say the sufficiency of Jesus Christ, the name it, claim it. That if you're a believer, you can just name out what you want and God's going to give it. Or you can claim this certain thing and God's going to do it. Um, you know, uh, specifically the folks that misinterpret this theological paradigm, the sufficiency in Jesus Christ. I've heard them say this before, you know, um, hey man, you struggling with addiction? Yeah, I'm struggling with addiction. What is it? Alcohol for 20 years, man. I need help. Man, what you need is you need more Jesus, man. Let me pray for you right now and I'm going to pray for a miracle. And that's cool. Pray for a miracle. Lord Jesus, I prayed for this miracle, this man to be healed and never drink a drop of alcohol again in his life. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name, amen. Boom. Ted walks out of the room and Ted screws up. He starts drinking again. Somebody invited him to church. You should get in a 12-step program. Ted, no. I got everything I need in Jesus Christ. I don't need it. But guess what? Truth be known is he can't handle it. He didn't get healed. He still got an addiction problem. And he feels really stupid and insufficient in Jesus Christ, not sufficient. What did Ted need? Ted needed a 12-step program. Um, can God heal and do a miracle for, t for this guy? Absolutely he can. What is the sufficiency in Jesus Christ doesn't mean? It doesn't mean that God always uses the same method all the time. He can use a miracle, ladies and gentlemen, or he can use medicine. He can use a 12-step program or he can, he can do it through a, a, a dynamic, powerful experience, an encounter with him. And what we do with this theology shapes the way we think. It shapes the way we treat other people. And it, it, it stresses and it can change the way we think about and how we deal with our own problems. Years ago, I, I was... Uh, I was uh, in a really bad place, a tough place. We had moved out here. We uh, planted the church. I, I let go all my friends and family back in uh, Little Rock, Arkansas, and Dallas, Texas. Um, the church wasn't moving just in the direction that I thought it was. We were at the Barry Goldwater High School at the time. Um, we adopted a little girl. Uh, my dog attacked her. It was my favorite 
uh, dog at the time attacked her brutally in front of me and my family. Uh, CPS got concerned. There was discussion about lawsuits against our family because she was a foster child at that time. We were having uh, perhaps uh, uh, questions about allegations from the state to our family. I'm trying to lead the church. Things are not going well. And I spun out of control in the sense of I lost my, all my motivation. I lost, I lost my drive. And I've never done that in my life. I didn't want to get out of bed. I didn't want to see anybody. I didn't want to preach. I didn't want to go to church. And my wife says, taps me on the back and says, something's wrong. And I did that for a year. I just kept going. And then finally, I got to this point, I can't do this anymore. And I thought, I, 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 thought I'm, I might just quit and go back because I just don't know if I can do this anymore. It's too dark. It's too, too heavy. And uh, I called a pastor friend of mine, and he said, son, you're depressed. And I said, what? And he said, no, you're depressed. I said, no, I, I read the Bible. I pray. I, I exercise. I try to go to sleep. I was also in chronic pain. I had deep chronic pain down my back. I was in physical therapy for almost two years. I spent about $20,000 to try to fix the pain I was in. I was in trouble, ladies and gentlemen. And God chooses in the sufficiency of Christ to give me everything I need spiritually, but I didn't factor in perhaps what God could use other individuals like doctors and medicine physically. And so I called another friend of mine and uh, he said, you're depressed, you need to get help. You need to get some medication. And so I took a crazy, courageous step and I got some help. And uh, I want to tell you, the fog lifted. Within about six to eight weeks, the fog began to lift. And I got my drive back and my joy back. And I think when we look at this theological doctrine of the sufficiency of Jesus Christ, we have to understand what it does mean, that we have every spiritual blessing. And what it doesn't mean is that God's always going to use the same thing, do the same thing twice. Could he have healed me like a miracle? He could have, but he didn't. And he chooses to use a doctor who's going to give medicine to help me. Um, some of you, you know, when you break your arm or you break your foot, you're going to go to the doctor. I don't think you say, no, we believe Jesus is going to heal us. No, you go to a doctor. So when you're, when you're hurt phys physiologically and you're suffering, you go get help. You do whatever you can do. Do you pray? Yes, you pray. Do you, do you ask for uh, attention medically? Yes, you do. You should. So big doctrine, sufficiency of Jesus Christ and do, uh, introduce one more big doctrine, predestination. Uh, theological concept, it says in verses four and five, let's jump right into it just for a minute. It says, even as he chose us in him, verse four, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be wholly blameless before him in love. So we are chosen. You say, wait a second. I thought I chose God. Well, what did that say? God, he, God chose us. Apostle Paul puts himself there. He definitely experienced God chose him, right? <laughs> He's on the road to Damascus acting a fool, breathing out murderous threats against Christians, and God radically intervened and saved him. Paul doesn't see that as an individual act of God in salvation. He sees it as a corporate. He's writing to the church, living believers in Ephesus, and says, God chose us. And he says he chose us before the foundation of the world. That's a long time ago. 
And if we believe the Bible and that we could relate as believers like Ephesus, it shows that God's divine initiative, prerogative in choosing, and that we should be holy, blameless before him in love. Verse five says, he predestined us. What does that word uh, predestined mean? It means predetermined, preplanned. It's, it's, it means what it sounds like. If you, if you jumped on a plane, uh, many of you fly uh, all the time. Raise your hand if you do air travel once a month. Raise your hand. Okay, a handful of you. How many of you have uh, ridden on a plane before? Raise your hand. Okay, I think most of you. Um, so when you get on a plane, you, you, you make the decision, I'm getting on that plane. Uh, you walk through that little, that little walkway thing and you can hear the air and the wind and you're leaving from the outside to the inside of the plane. And then finally there comes this point where you have to sit down and you get to your seat and it's always crowded. And they're making them smaller and smaller. You know, and then you sit down and then you buckle up and then you hear the captain say, today, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to be traveling a cruising altitude of 30,000 feet. Uh, sit back, relax, enjoy the ride. We'll arrive in San Diego about 8.05 p.m. There you go. I, I will be a pilot one day. And uh, I'm a pilot now. I help you guys travel to Jesus. So, so, so you get on that plane and then you might say, I don't want to go there. It's already determined, bro. You sat in the seat. You bought the ticket. You got in. You're there. That's it. There's a predestination plan. When you choose to follow Jesus Christ, what you discover is, this thing was bigger than me. God had planned it out far before I ever thought about this thing. See, that's my story. I had, I, yeah, did I choose Jesus Christ? Yes, I did. I was, I was in 1997 in the mountains of Colorado. I looked up, I said, I'm giving my life to you, Jesus. And I think God's going, <laughs> I'm giving my life to you, son. You're not giving your life to me. I'm giving it to you. See, I think perhaps uh, there's this passage where Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden and burdened, and I'll give you rest. And there's an invitation for, for gospel and for salvation for every person on the planet. To all who call upon the name of the Lord, they will be what? Saved. So, I mean, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, you will be what? Saved. So, I mean, it is true. You do your part but just look out. God's been doing his part far before the earth was ever built. So then you say, well, what's it like? Well, imagine a door, a big door, and Jesus calls from that door, and at the top of the door, it says, come all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. I'm going through that door. I need rest. I'm burdened. I got issues. Thank you, Jesus. And then you walk through, and you look on the backside of the door and go, oh, snap. That sign says, I was chosen in Christ before the foundations of the earth. How did that happen? See, you don't know. You can't explain this thing. But let me just try to tell you, who has more knowledge than you? Does God have more knowledge than you? Are God's ways like your ways? No, they're not. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says the secret things belong to God. Let me tell you something. There's two different camps in Christianity. Calvinists, Arminianists. The Calvinists believe that they're going to protect the sovereignty of God. And I think that's a great thing. Fight for the sovereignty of God. He, God's a planner. God's, God's going to, he's got this thing figured out. Like, yes, hallelujah, praise the Lord. Then you got the Arminius on the other side, and not the ethnic version. I'm talking the religious version, Arminius. They believe they're going to protect the free will of man and the fairness of God. And who's right? My response would be is both. 
Uh, Charles Spurgeon, great preacher one time, was asked, how do you reconcile the sovereignty of God and the free will of man? And he goes, I don't reconcile two friends. They're, they complement one another. Why would I reconcile two friends with one another? Does it make sense? No, it doesn't. If I was to hold up a quarter and say, oh, what do you see on this quarter? You'd say, heads. I say, great. I flip it over. I say, what do you see now? Tails. It's kind of like the sovereignty of God and the free will of man. So do me a favor. While I'm on watch at this church, don't fight. I know you got a camp. You might be more Calvinistic. You might be more, more, more Arminian. Don't fight. It's not worth it. These are what we call open-handed issues, okay? So the Apostle Paul uses this incredible language about predestination. And so what does it mean for us? What's our response? Our two big blessings... And I believe predestination is a blessing uh, because I'm so glad. I feel special, right? Maybe you do too. God chose you. Man, if I was God, I wouldn't have chose me. And if I was God, I definitely wouldn't have chose you. I'm just saying, we're so imperfect. You know, um, so it is a blessing. I feel blessed, spiritually speaking. So what's our response? Our response is worship. Our response to God is always worship. So how do we do that? Number one, you commit to Jesus Christ. As a believer, you've been a believer 25 years or 2.5 years or 2.5 months, you commit to Jesus. We study the scriptures not to get a, a more information. We study the scriptures to get more transformation. And the whole book from the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible is about Jesus. I want to share with you a story about a guy whose life was impacted by Jesus Christ. Went public in his faith. I had the privilege to interview Jason. Check this out. Hey guys, I'm standing with Jason right here. Jason, you went public with your faith today, having placed your faith in Jesus Christ. You know, uh, I'm sure there's a lot of emotions. And so <laughs> tell us in your own words kind of the significance of today. You know, today was a, a big deal for me. It was it was scary as well, but I've been going to Mission in Gilbert, Arizona for, for a few years, and um, I got distant from it, and um, my faith kind of... I lost some faith. I lost some faith, and I've um, been going through some trials and, 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 and stuff through my life, and, and my friend Justin uh, invited me to church last weekend, and, and I came, and I met Josh, and I was very drawn to him for some reason, and I got to see him Wednesday, and he kind of shared some really deep things with me, and um, you know, I, I got on my hands and knees that night and begged God to forgive me and begged God to uh, take my will in my life, man. And it's just, it's lined up beautifully, yeah. so well, I'm really super happy. Well, you know, I mean, guys like you are kind of what we're the most excited about. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I, my story is the story of like a prodigal son who came back. And I, I think what I heard in your story is, is that you kind of went out and did your own thing your own way for a while and you found the pain and the toil and the today's a big day, a new day for you in that regard. Um, I want to thank you. Isn't that cool? Can we celebrate that for a minute? I think that's great. Uh, he said in the video, his friend Justin invited him to church, which is so cool, you know, and there's a backstory there. And then he met Joshua and uh, really in, he was encouraged by Joshua. We have a great 
team called North Valley, and we have a great staff. I'm so proud of you guys. So a couple more steps before we close up today on our responding to worship is getting, not only committing our lives to Jesus Christ, but getting involved in over these next 12 weeks to really do our part to grow. God's going to do his part, but you've got to do your part. Put in the work. You're not going to get strong and buff if you never go to the gym. Spiritual life is kind of like exercising. Uh, so at least go on a walk. At least go on a hike spiritually. Like, get into this thing. Uh, take the next 12 weeks to say, you know what, I'm going to read Ephesians. I'm going to read it a lot. Uh, maybe number, number three, you get a journal. You get an ESV journal. We've got these journals available. You can read and write and kind of journal your way through this. This is a cool deal. This is a letter from the Apostle Paul uh, to us as a church uh, uh, that is applicable for us, just as it was for Ephesus. And then the last is just join a neighborhood group. Maybe take that step and say, I'm going to learn together. I want to do life with more people and figure out how to apply God's word together. That's what it's designed for. So let me pray for you, and then we're going to take a step forward and just move forward in our service and uh, receiving an offering here in a minute. Lord, I give you thanks for today. Thank you that you love your church. Thank you for my friends and uh, here through North Valley. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for doing your work in us. We, we love you. Thank you that you chose us. And God, for, for those here today that say, I, I don't know, Lord, maybe they just need to make that decision and choose you today. And I pray for them right now, Lord, that those that say, I don't know if I was to die today, if I'd go to heaven or to hell. I don't know if I'm truly saved or not, but they want to be saved. I pray they would pray a prayer simply like this. Heavenly Father, I come before you today and I choose you. And I thank you by some crazy mystery. You say you chose me. I accept you as my Lord and Savior. I pray for forgiveness. I pray for that power. I need instruction. And I need a motivation. I pray that in the mighty name of Jesus. Do your saving work in my life. And Lord, for all of us, would you fill us with a, a greater measure of the Holy Spirit, and the power, the instruction, and the motivation to keep living this thing called the Christian life. To you be all the glory. In Jesus' name. Everybody said, Amen. Thank you for listening. To become a supporter of North Valley Community Church, give today at northvalleychurch.org.